You're listening to episode 99 of the Room to Grow podcast. I'm Emily Goff, a holistic nutritionist and women's lifestyle coach living in Hamilton, Ontario in Canada. And here on the Room to Grow podcast, I bring you thoughts or guests in areas of nutrition, mindset, lifestyle, and entrepreneurship that will help you gain confidence so you can stress less and elevate yourself to create the life you love. We are not here to do things perfectly, but we are here to learn from each other and to grow with lots of self-love and compassion along the way. Let's get started. Hey there, welcome back to the Room to Grow podcast, and I cannot believe it's episode 99. What? Where is the time going? (laughs) So make sure to stay tuned on Thursday because there's going to be an extra special episode on Thursday to celebrate the big move to triple digits, uh, episode 100. So make sure to stay tuned for that. And I'm very excited for today's interview. So today we're speaking to a dear friend of mine, Nicole Dalcourt, and she's the author of the soon to be released memoir, The Things I Couldn't Say. And it's making, she's making it her personal mission to free women from shame through open and compassionate dialogue. I am so excited to share this one with you because when she and I first started tossing around some ideas about what to make this interview, sort of focus on, she had just some brilliant things that I have never covered on here before that I think you're really going to appreciate. So we're talking a lot about the anxiety that she's had since she was a kid. Uh, She's very, very open and honest about uh, all of that, all of her experience. She's so generous with sharing her story. And she's talking to us about how she's dealt with that anxiety in the way she parents, as well as on a personal level especially as she's seen some anxiety show up in her kids as well and helping them find ways and really empowering ways, I might add, to manage it for themselves in a healthy way too, as well as uh, from the parental standpoint. She talks about breaking the fear loop, uh, taking your own power back and discussing the shame that is often found in discussions around mental health to begin with. Because even though times are changing and even though um, those doors are being opened a lot more and there are a lot more people being much more open about their mental health. There's still stigma attached to it. There's still a lot of people that are really worried about sharing their story, um, about discussing it, even with, with loved ones in the privacy of your own home. Like it's, it's tough because it's not an easy conversation to have. And Nicole just opens this up in a really beautiful way that I think you're really, really going to appreciate. Um, So for any of the show notes, anything mentioned on today's episode, make sure to jump over to roomtogrowpodcast.com. You'll be able to find all the information on how to connect with the amazing Nicole there as well. And I have an extra special treat for you today. I'm releasing a brand new uh, free guide on the 14 ways to absolutely rock a podcast interview because I, I get this question a lot. Um, I've also spoken with a lot of guests where it can be their first time doing an interview. They might be a little bit nervous and I get it. It's an intimidating process if you haven't done it before, but you all know how passionate I am about podcasting (laughs) and I'm actually going to be talking about, uh, stuff like this a lot more. You can potentially look for, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to spill, I'm not going to spill the beans just yet. But there are there's some major things coming down the pipeline in the next few weeks that I'll be able to talk more about uh, in regards to podcasting. So stay tuned for that as well. But this guide is going to really help you to be an absolute badass on podcast interviews. And especially if you are trying to grow your business or even just share your story or you know connect with new people in new ways, uh, all of these different things. Podcasts are an amazing way to go, and I want you to feel super confident and be able to do it with ease. And it's going to leave the interviewer wanting you back on as a guest. It's going to leave the listeners wanting to connect with you. These 14 ways will absolutely change how you do podcast interviews. So even if you are total newbie to all this stuff, this is what this is designed for. It's, it's designed to either help you improve the process that you already have in place or to help you literally start from ground zero when you've never podcasted before ever. So make sure to jump over and grab that. It's going to also be listed in the show notes. Um, I'm just really excited for you to, to grab it. So everything will all be available for you over at roomtogrowpodcast.com. And I don't want to hold this up any longer because we have some chatting with Nicole to do. So let's get going. Nicole, thank you so much for being on. I'm so happy to be here. Oh my gosh. I love it. You and I keep joking about the fact that we could just get on the phone for four or five hours and 
you live close enough, unlike most of my internet friends, that we could actually drive to each other within a couple of hours. So we hundred <laughs> percent. Yes. Yeah. I don't even think it's a couple hours. I think it'd be 45 minutes. Yeah. An hour. Yeah. Depending yeah. on auto traffic. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. That's a whole nother story. It's a whole other situation. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us a little bit about you. I would love to get to know you a little bit better and share ever share with everyone a little bit more about Nicole and how you got to where you are today, because I guess I have the most amazing guests on always and it's so many interesting stories. So tell us a little bit about you. Well, I am uh, a real estate agent. Uh, I am a mom. I'm a wife and I am also an anxiety sufferer. So those things combined have, have sort of dictated a lot of the direction of my life. But uh, there is one thing that I always like to say, and, and that's that I am no one and I am everyone. And that's a line from a book that I'm writing. Uh, I decided to write my memoir after a health uh, problem a couple of years ago. Well, it's about five years ago now. And uh, it was pretty traumatic and I was really ill. And that was the moment that my entire life changed for the better. So I decided to write a book about it and it uh, touches on some really important topics, I think. And uh, one of the main topics being uh, anxiety and, and sort of how having anxiety changes the way we view the world. So how did, when did you figure out that you had anxiety? Because I, I know that for me, I think I've, I think I always thought of my person, thought of myself as a person who was somewhat easily stressed, but I didn't really ever attach a name to it until a therapist actually said to me that I had anxiety. And, and in some ways I almost felt relieved because I'm like, Oh, that's what that is. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> I can, I, <laughs> yeah, I can relate to that for sure. I think, well, as a child, I had moderate anxiety for sure. Uh, and I had panic attacks and that was a result of a, of a sort of a traumatic experience uh, when I was about eight years old uh, and it was uh, an attempted at abduction. But I didn't know what it was or why I felt sick all the time. I just knew that something was wrong and that it was different from other kids. And then I think you just, you live with that secret for years where you feel different. And then it escalated in my teens. And I'm sure that had a lot to do with just being a teenager and hormones and all of the other things you experience as a teen. And then it continued out throughout my whole life. And then I based a lot of the decisions I made in my life, as I said earlier, out of fear, because I was always searching for that security and a way to make that worry go away. And you can't, I don't think you can live like that and be healthy. So it impacted my marriage, my relationships, my employment, my self-worth, right? And I don't know, I just, I wish I'd had the tools or the knowledge to cope, um, but I didn't, right? And, and I want to be able to share looking back with other parents, um, sort of how to parent a child with anxiety, or if you're a parent with anxiety, how do you, how do you raise a child without letting your anxiety impact them, right? Like that's sort of the goal for me, right? And I'm thrilled that you brought this up. I was really excited when you mentioned this topic because you and I have talked about anxiety before privately, but when sure. you mentioned it from the parenting standpoint, I was really pumped because I hardly ever hear people talking about anxiety as in terms of how it relates to parenting and being a parent and potentially parenting kids with anxiety themselves. And there's so many different facets of it. I mean, I think that anxiety and worry are obviously normal to a degree when it comes to worrying about kids. But one of the questions that came up for me was when we started talking about this was how much is too much? You know, where's that line between anxiety and, and worry? And how do we figure that out? Yeah, I, I'm 100% with you. Um, as far as worrying too much, for me, I mean, far be it for me to tell anyone how to parent. I think that's one of the things I firmly believe where sort of people need to stay in their own lane. But from my experience of parenting, both parenting children with anxiety and then as well as me having anxiety myself. I think it's obviously completely natural to worry about your kids, especially as they get older and they become more independent. Um, that's something I'm actually experiencing now because my kids are 15 and 16. So, you know, they're sort of out with 
different friends and, and they're at a job and they're, you know, taking public transportation and doing all of those things, right? So, so the leash is a lot longer. Um, but I think for me, uh, one of the things that I always used to do was I would use my spouse or a trusted friend or family member as a gauge. So for me, it was like, okay, are they worried about my children? I know they love my children. So are they as worried as I am about, you know, scenario A, B, or C? And do I feel angry towards uh, this person for any reason? Because I don't feel like they're as upset as I am. For me, that was always a good gauge. Am I, am I taking... Uh, I don't even know how to say it. Am I, am I taking my frustration and my anxiety out on, say, my spouse, for example, because I feel like they should be worried more instead of looking at it like, well, if they're not worried, maybe I shouldn't be either because they don't want anything to happen to their child or to their, their grandchild or their niece or their nephew or whatever it is, right? So I used to use uh, a spouse as a gauge, and I've always thought that, that that was a great way to do it because there are times when I have anxiety that I know that I can't trust myself. So that was one of the things that, that I did that seemed to really, to really help. So what, what I'm thinking about too, especially when it comes to things like anxiety and worry as a parent if you experienced the trauma of an attempted abduction as a child, how did that show up in the way you parent? Because I can only imagine, it, it, I, I don't even have kids, and, and I can only imagine the amount of overprotectiveness that I would have of my kids if I had gone through something like what you have gone through. Yeah, so definitely that's always my, my sort of main um, worry. And it's especially relevant uh, with my daughter. And, and I would say, um, and, and obviously, just because she's a girl. So when she was around the same age, and all of that kind of stuff, it really started to become a trigger for me. Mm -hmm. But I think there's a couple things going on. I think it's important to understand that anxiety, um, it can be paralyzing, not only for the parent, but for the child too, because we know that that uh, kids model the behavior of their parents, right? So if we're showing them that the world is a terrifying place, they are going to believe us, right? So this just perpetuates the cycle through generations, right? And, it, and all it's going to do is limit the opportunities that parents actually want their children to have, which is to feel safe, right? With a sense of security, to, to, to trust, their, trust themselves, you know, to be independent. So I was always really careful not to let my anxiety dominate my decisions in terms of child rearing. And I, and I really tried to um, hide the physical aspects of my anxiety from the kids. And I tried to make all my decisions based on facts and evidence. So, I mean, that was not an easy feat for sure. And I'm sure I dropped the ball sometimes too. I'm sure if you asked them, they'd say, Hey mom, I remember when you were crazy. Right. Yeah. And, <laughs> right. And I think that's natural. That's okay. But I mean, one of the examples that I can think of is that my kids, when they were about nine years old, they, my kids are really close in age with they're a year apart. So when my son was nine, he wanted to start riding his bike to school and we're only about five blocks from the school, maybe six blocks. I was absolutely terrified. I thought he was going to get hit by a car. I thought he was going to get lost. I thought he was going to get kidnapped, like anything you could think of. And I just, I couldn't sleep. And so I knew, okay, so this is anxiety talking because I'm ruminating. So that was one of the, the main things that sort of for me was a telltale sign. But they really, like he really wanted to do it. So, so what I had to say to myself was, okay, how are we going to make this happen so that it's safe? but also that he has the freedom to, to be able to grow and become a normal person, right? So I researched and found out that, you know, nine, eight, nine, ten 10 was a perfectly acceptable age to be riding your bike to school by yourself. And then I thought, okay, so let's do practice runs because then if we're practicing it, he's going to feel secure because he knows the way. And then that's something else I can take off my, my worry plate, as you said earlier, because I, I know he's not going to get lost because we've practiced right? Then we had some extra discussions around stranger danger and just kind of general safety things. And then I had to let him go. And the first couple of times he did it, I mean, I can say I was 
I was just a hot mess because I, every single awful scenario that could go through my head went through my head. And it, it wasn't until, you know, an hour after school started every day where I know that I would have gotten a call by then saying, you know, your son didn't make it to school. Is everything okay? That I could relax for the rest of the day until he got home. Right. But I knew if I didn't let them go, then it was anxiety making the decisions. And I refused to let, to let that happen. Right. Anxiety was already dictating too much of my own life. And I wasn't going to let it dictate my kid's life as well. I think it's really powerful that you recognize that because I think that a lot of people, especially if they aren't as familiar with what it is that they're truly experiencing and they don't even recognize it in themselves as anxiety, but then it's even harder to not let that transfer in decision-making and how we relate to other people, especially, I, I would think, again, I'm not a parent, but especially towards mm -hmm. our children. And refusing to let anxiety make the decisions, that's a really powerful phrase right there. That's a very powerful sentence. Yeah, and I think for me, it's always been easier for me to do things for my children than it is to do things for me. Because I... I am more likely to see something through if I'm doing it for them because I would do anything for them. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, that was always sort of a, a way for me to, to push past things that normally I might've given up on sooner than I should have. But like, so I didn't figure out I had anxiety. Like my official diagnosis came in, I don't know, probably around 99. So I would have been around 23. And just like you had said earlier about sort of being happy about it, I oscillated between being happy as well um, for having uh, sort of a name for it, right? But I also felt a lot of shame uh, because the doctor made it seem like part of me was broken, right? That I needed fixing. And there was no conversation around the psychological impact of being told that, you know, quote unquote, something was wrong with me. So it made me retreat pretty deep into myself. And it took a long time to, to understand that, that I wasn't broken. And when my kids started displaying um, signs of anxiety at a young age, all I knew was that I wasn't going to let them have the same thoughts about themselves as I did. So anxiety, mental health, all of that kind of stuff became a really open discussion at our house from a really, really young age, like seven, like the kids were probably six and seven, seven, eight around there. And I mean, we talk about mental health in our house, like we talk about laundry, right? Like it's just, it's just another thing that we talk about, right? And um, I'm really proud of that. And I'm proud that the kids have somewhere to go that's a safe place to, to, you know, be sad. Or even when the kids were young, if they were sad, I wasn't trying to say, don't cry. Everything's okay. Like, no, it's not okay. You're sad right now. That's okay. Right. And, yeah. and, I, and I think not, not covering up what, whatever your emotion is can only benefit your children. And I think it's okay for kids to see you, uh, as, as human as well. Right. Because if they see you at your lowest, they can also see you rise. And, and I think if they see you in both, um, like what's the word I'm looking for, if they can see you in both ways, I think that's a, that's a benefit for them for sure. I really want to underscore. I just wrote down what you just said. If they see you at your lowest, they can also see you rise. Yes. That is so powerful. I absolutely love that. And there's, there's a lot that I want to unpack in what you, what you mentioned. Something that first stood out to me was when you said that it's easier to do things for your children than for yourself. And I feel like moms around the world just nodded. <laughs> yeah, for sure. From the moms and, I've talked to, to I feel like it's universal. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, for sure it is. Exactly. And, and there is a lot of shame around anxiety. And Yes, the, the tides are changing. Um, hopefully this podcast is one teeny tiny little sliver of that because we talk about mental health on here all the time. Yeah. And the, it, there is a lot of power in that. And, and it, I love watching the conversation shift around this because my, my own therapist actually uh, mentioned to me a few weeks ago, she said something about this is the first generation where we're raising kids like with emotion. Yes. Like the conversations are not being sidestepped. 
we, we are actually, I mean, this is obviously generalization, but overall, most parents are much more concerned about the emotional health and the mental well-being of their kids than any other previous generation, just because there's more information out there. There's less stigma around it. Like the information just wasn't there before. It was nobody's fault. It just, it, it was a different time there. There wasn't as much to go on. And I, I really want to hear more about the types of dialogue that you have with your kids around mental health and how, how parents can start to have those kinds of conversations, because that can sort of be a big barrier to entry. I feel like is it's like, okay, you know, my kid is already X age. Where do I begin? (laughs) Right. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And, and just before I answer that question, I would just actually like to touch on something that you just mentioned, which I think is really interesting. So my daughter right now is at 15. So she's 15. And so she's at the age where my anxiety really escalated. And when I, when I look at the difference between her and the information that's available and the dialogues people are having around mental health and the support there is for mental health compared to when I was 15, right? So, I mean, it, it, I, the difference is, is crazy. And I, I'll be honest, there, there was a time in my life where I uh, begrudged my mother because I felt like, well, why didn't she help me, Right. But her and I had talked about that, and she brought up a very good point, which is, which is very similar to what you just said. She said, we didn't talk about it then. There was no information available to us, right? All, all I knew is that you used to worry. We just called it worry. She worries a lot. She, she's got high worry. That's mm-hmm. what we used to say, right? There, wasn't, there was no strategies in place on, on how to deal with it or, or, or anything like that. Yeah. And um, so... Um, so there, yeah, there's quite a contrast between the two. And then if you even go back another generation, I mean, you were considered, so my mom, if my mom was 15 with anxiety, I mean, she would have been considered touched, right? And we use all of these sort of archaic words around mental health, which was really just anxiety back then. But I mean, people used to be hospitalized for that. Yeah, right. Absolutely. Or institutionalized, right? So it's crazy. So we are making progress but there is still a lot to do, right? There is. And, and I think yeah. it's always going to be an ongoing conversation because we, we have to continue to stay open to it or the shame builds around it. Yes. We and and I think to be able to speak it. The shame that now that you've said that is, is one of the biggest pieces I think of uh, mental health. Um, for sure. I, I felt very shameful and I remember feeling that from a young age about having anxiety. So I thought having a diagnosis was going to make me feel better because he was just like, oh, it's just, you know, it's a chemical imbalance. It, it's that whole thing, right? So I thought that that would make me feel less shameful, but it didn't, right? Um, so, and then the less that you talk about it, the, obviously the worse it gets. And then I also felt shame uh, because my kids displayed signs, signs of anxiety. And I thought, well, they must get that from me. So they're either getting it from my genes, which I felt ashamed about, or they're getting it because I'm anxious and I'm making it that way. So then I felt ashamed about that as well, right? So you can only be so happy and so productive and, you know, try to build your own self-confidence when you feel all that shame all the time, right? Like you can't do it. And I didn't even think about that part. And and you make such a great point about you feeling shame about passing that anxiety on like mm-hmm. as though it's your fault somehow and and we we take that on and then it just adds to our own baggage i would think and that then it just translates into you know more anxiety towards your kids like it's just it's like this yeah. forward feed cycle that is very difficult to break until you get really clear on what is going on and and what you can do about it so what what do some of those conversations um, sound like with your kids? Like walk us through what a what a typical conversation would sound like with your kids. Okay, well well for us both of our kids, and I think this is typical with anyone who's who's got any kind of a, an anxiety disorder. Uh, it can uh, display itself in different ways for everybody. So for my son, my son's fear for for whatever reason uh, was that he was going to be forgotten. 
at school or at an activity or he was going to be forgotten on the bus, something like that. So for him, the things that we needed to do for him were very different than what we needed to do for my daughter, whose anxiety uh, presented itself with a lot of stomach aches, with nausea, with vomiting, with stomach pain, right? So I think the first, the first step before you can uh, have the, the conversation with your kids about their anxiety is, is for them to, to understand the feelings or the thoughts in their body that those are, in fact, anxiety. So, so once we sort of figured that out, then we literally just talked about it all the time so that it wasn't weird. It wasn't, um, you know, nothing was taboo, nothing like that. Right. So, um, you know, my, my son would say, I'm worried that nobody's going to pick me up from school today. Right. So he was able to just come out right out and say it once we figured out what it was and, and we would say, okay, so, um, how many times have you ever been forgotten at school? And he would say zero and we'd say, okay, so what can we do to help you feel better about not being worried about being left at school? Well, you could come early so that I know that you're there. So sure. So for honestly, like close to two years, we had to be the first parent at school or otherwise he would get really upset and it would be hard for him to go to school the next day. Right. Okay. I want, I want to interrupt you for a second because I love, I'm like literally making notes here and I want to make this hyper clear for, for anyone who's listening, who has kids that are, you know, worriers or anything like that. The first thing I wrote was basically naming the feeling. Like he's literally just saying out loud that he's worried. Yes. Then he breaks it. And I don't mean him, but just any, any kid. Then, then we're breaking down the concern. Like, Mm -hmm. okay, this is what you're worried about. Why is it that you are worried about that? Mm -hmm. And then asking what they need. I think that that's the most powerful part of that because then you're also giving this, this control to the, this other human. And yeah, even though they're, they're smaller than us and they're younger than us, they still have needs and they still need to know how to express those needs. And frankly, I can't imagine how well that's going to serve them in adulthood. I think that's so powerful. (laughs) And I'm glad. And you know, it's interesting because for me, anxiety always, uh, made me feel powerless. So for me, I always want to give power back to my children and and let them know that this is what's possible, right? Like we can do anything. We're a strong family unit, but you've, you've got to be able to talk about it. And we've sort of done that for lots of things, not just anxiety, right? As teenagers, they you know the different kind of conversations you have to have. But, um, but yeah, so, you know, for my daughter, for example, like I said, hers was, her anxiety was very physical. So after we, of course, ruled out that there was nothing uh, like physically wrong with her and that her stomach aches likely resulted from anxiety, we started to ask her. But the interesting thing about my daughter is for a very long time, she was not able to, to verbalize where her anxiety was coming from. So we needed to figure out a completely different approach. So my son is older and, and what worked for him wasn't going to work for her because she didn't, she wasn't able to articulate what it was that she was worried about. So we were like, uh Oh, <laughs> like, we're not going to be able to say to her, what do you need from us? Because she didn't know what she needed. Right. Mm, so yes. I thought, okay, what are we going to do? So I got creative and I decided to make her what we ended up calling a power kit. So this power kit was just a, a big Tupperware container that she kept in her room. And it had a whole bunch of different activities on it to, to kind of get her mind off of her stomach ache because her stomach ache would sort of unravel her, right? So she would get the stomach ache and then she knew that if, if she didn't calm herself down, she would end up, you know, being sick to her stomach, which was something she really hated. And it started this big kind of fear loop, right? So we knew we had to break the loop, but that's all we knew that we needed to do at that point. So we made this power kit. It had a bunch of activities in it that were obviously age appropriate because she was probably six or seven at the time. And um, so there were, uh, you know, there was a bubble thing and I, and there were instructions that said, okay, so blow bubbles like in your room. And then you have to pop each one of them with your nose without laughing. Right? Oh my gosh, that's so, so cute. So just like <laughs> things like that, right? So it was just so that I could stop the loop for her so that the stomach ache could settle down. And once that settled down, we would be able to say, were you thinking about anything before you got a stomach ache? 
And she would say, yes, I was thinking about A, B, C, or D, right? And then we would talk about whatever it was those issues were. So what, what we realized after a while with my daughter is that her anxiety was more generalized. And it was about, you know, making new friends, starting a new activity, like those kinds of things would make her nervous. Whereas my son was very clearly, this is the one thing that I'm nervous about, right? So I think the thing we also have to uh, keep in mind is that anxiety for people not only will manifest different, it, it's also some people can be worried just kind of about everything, which is what I have. <laughs> and some people can just be worried about only one thing. That's a great point too, that there are so many different types of anxiety. Mm -hmm. and, and that's where we sometimes need, you know, a professional to help us sort that out too and, and figure out like yes. what it is, because then you can approach it more appropriately once you know what it is that you're dealing with. That's why sometimes I think that having some sort of a diagnosis can be helpful as long as you don't wrap your entire identity up in it. Yes. Um, a, a diagnosis can, can be really great because it can give you the tools to aid you in moving past it. And then yes. you can break that story anyway and, and like break the fear loop, like what you were talking about too. I loved how you phrased that. I, I think that there's so much power in that. And something that's really coming to mind for me with all of this actually is attachment styles. And I just started thinking, I've been thinking about this as you've been talking through the last uh, few like questions is there's, there's so much work that's been done on attachment styles and how, um, you know, when, when you have, when it's the mother and like the toddler and they, the toddler starts to walk away, then they turn and look back at the mother. And if the mother wants them to come back right away, then that can end up turning into a more like anxious or yep. like more anxious attachment style. Whereas if the child turns around and looks at mom and mom like smiles and she's so excited to see them doing their own thing and gaining that little tiny bit of independence, then they're reassured and then they carry on. And Absolutely. that is like a healthier attachment style. And then so many of these different types of things can end up showing up later on. I don't mean, I don't mean that this is like the cause of like anxiety, no, but no, it's no, no, no. interesting that like, I'm just making these connections in my own head as, yeah. as you're talking and I'm thinking about it. It's just so fascinating to see how, how we evolve from like these little tiny humans into these more adult beings yeah. and having these conversations about it and what we can do to work with it rather than against it. Well, you know, and it's interesting that you said that too, because while when the kids first started sort of displaying this, this, you know, anxiety mindset, let's say, um, they, we were going through a divorce. So there were things going on in their young little lives that would make any child insecure. Right. And I think um, they were also, uh, we shared custody. So the kids were moving between houses. So I could almost understand why, for example, my son might feel like he could be forgotten one day because it was probably hard for him to keep track of which house was, who was picking me up today and whose house was I going to be sleeping at and that kind of thing, even though the divorce was, you know, very amicable and, and all of that kind of stuff. But I'm sure for little people that, that, that's a lot harder trying to, you know, remember schedules or, you know, maybe they wanted to be one place more than they wanted to be the other, but they, they didn't know how to say that and that kind of thing. Right. Exactly. So, yeah. So I can definitely see where, um, it stemmed from. And I think had we not both my, my ex-husband and I, if we had not stayed on top of it and, and handled, like, I feel proud of us and the way we handled we, the way we handled it. And I think if we hadn't have been so um, invested in making sure that they didn't suffer through the divorce, they could very well still be anxious, right? Because if you don't give people the tools to cope, then they don't have the tools to cope, right? And, and that doesn't change as they get older. Well, and, and actually, since you mentioned your, your ex-husband as well, mm -hmm. I'm interested to know, was he someone who, who had more, and if this is too much information, please let no, me know. I was fine. just going to say if, if he was someone who also had experience with anxiety in his past, so that that was why he was better able to understand it, or did he just kind of like do the work with you to figure it out as you went basically. And I would imagine he would, he would have learned some of it from 
from and about you as well. And then obviously that would transfer with the kids. Yeah, I would say it was probably a little bit of both. Mm -hmm. um, he, he definitely had some uh, anxious tendencies, uh, but nothing like I had. I mean, he was, yeah, definitely nothing like I had. Uh, but, but what I'll, what I'll say about him is uh, he was 100% invested in finding strategies because he loved his kids, obviously, in finding strategies to make sure they were strong and healthy. And he recognized just like I did. I mean, there was, there, there was no denying that, that the kids were anxious, right? So we had to step up and, and be their parents and guide them and, and give them what they needed to move through it, right? Oh, I love that. I just, yeah. I just love hearing that because it just shows so much love honestly, like on the, on the part of parents, it, I just, it, this is such a beautiful story that you're explaining how you guys have worked together to both individually and together, um, figured this out it, kind of in like in real time, right? Like you weren't sure. handed a, a, a parenting guide that said, this is what you do with this kid. This is what you do with the other no. kid. No parent is like, you have to figure it out. And I also really love that you had to figure out different strategies for each child. Because yeah, that's a challenge and, and you guys did the work and I, I love this. I think it's so cool. Yeah. And you know, and it was, it was funny too, because for my son, so say, say for example, he was at his dad's house and he was feeling lonely or something like that. And for his mom, right. So he, he would be able to call me and we'd be able to have a little chat and he'd feel better and everything would be good. But for my daughter, that wouldn't necessarily help her with her stomach ache right? Because we weren't necessarily breaking that fear loop. Mm -hmm. So with the power kit again, she would take that with her when she went places, right? So even sometimes if she was having, having um, a stomach ache about going to sleep over at a friend's house, because sleepovers were difficult for a while, um, she would take one of the activities from her kit and we would say, okay, take this with you. And the worst thing that's going to happen is you're going to call us and ask us to bring you home. All you have to do is try right? So she would try because she knew that she could call us and we could pick her up. I have to say, I'm getting this visual image of like this adorable, sweet little girl walking around with this little like teeny tiny suitcase called a power yeah. kit. It's like the, the most adorable thing I've ever heard. <laughs> She's like literally the cutest thing ever still. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's yeah. so cute. But, but I also um, think yeah. there's so much, like, I think there's so much awesomeness in the fact that you called it a power kit. You didn't yes. call it like a happy kit or, or an anxiety. You know, yeah, yeah, exactly. We don't want the negative connotation. Yeah. And, but even, you know, just something like happy, it, it doesn't give that, that sense of empowerment. And right. to give that little tiny human that kind of empowerment in, in making a choice to help themselves, I just think that's, that's magic. That's yeah. pure and, magic. And thank you. And, you know, and it's funny, as she got older and didn't need so much the power kit, like as much, she, she still has it in her closet. And it's funny because I asked her if I could talk about all of this before, <laughs> before, and she's like, yeah, it's fine. So she still has it in her closet and it, and it's not there. Like she's, I mean, there's dust on it. She hasn't opened it for, for years, but it's almost like it's still a safety net for her, mm -hmm. you know, even though the activities would be sort of way beyond her, way below her, <laughs> um, you know, level of intellect now, but, um, yeah, I mean, like I said, it's still in her closet and it, it's, been, it's been wonderful for her. So what we did as she got older is that, so she used to, you know, come to either me or her dad a lot. I have a stomach ache. I'm nervous about my stomach ache. I'm nervous that I'm going to be sick. So after a while, we realized, okay, so she's kind of depending on us to walk her through her power kit and to give her activities to make herself feel better. But again, we wanted to take it a step further and we wanted her to be able to calm herself down. Right. And we thought that that was really important. So as she got older, we started kind of giving her, I don't, I'm going to say rules. I'm not sure that that's the right word, but rules around surrounding the power kit. So if she came to us and said her stomach hurt, before she was allowed to come to us to say that she had to spend 10 minutes in her room by herself doing at least two activities before she could come tell us 
that her stomach hurt and she wanted our help. Right. So she had to spend, yeah, 10 minutes calming herself down first. And most of the time she would end up coming back into, you know, our room or wherever we were and saying, I had a stomach ache, but it's feeling better. And we were like, great. We're so proud of you. There'd be high fives and all of that. (laughs) Right. And, and that's the other thing, right? Like praise your kids, tell them how awesome it is that they're working through something really hard because as adults, we know what it's like to feel scared. And, and we've got a lot more knowledge than they do about why we feel scared or what stress feels like and all of that kind of stuff. So praise these little guys for working through something that's really, really difficult. I couldn't agree more. And you told me something pretty cool the other day. Also, I, I love it that you, you did. <laughs> oh, cool. <laughs> you tell me all kinds of cool things. <laughs> um, and also, I, I want to say I love that your daughter gave consent to discuss that. I think that's really cool that she that she's open enough about yes, it. And my son did too. Yeah. Yes, that's awesome. And yes. and I also think that's really important for parents. I I knew that you all people would would certainly ask consent for something yes. like that. But we are in a new age where it's never been accessible and public like this before. Yep. When parents have talked about experiences that their kids have had and we, I say we, but again, like I, I'm not a parent yet, but I, I would want to, to extend that same courtesy to my children too, because yep. it's about them. I think it's really, I think it's important. And I, and I think it's nice. And again, if you keep the kids involved in, you know, decision-making, like we, we have a lot of family meetings. I'm mm-hmm. sure the kids absolutely hate them, <laughs> but <laughs> we, we do, we have a lot of them. Uh, actually just recently, my anxiety has just been really heightened again. And I think just due to stress and some other stuff. So we've had a family meeting just recently and I shared with the kids and I, and I was just, I mean, because they're older now too, I just said, look, I'm really struggling right now uh, with anxiety and I need us to all work together. Right. So I explained that for me right now, this round of anxiety was going to look like, you know, a lot of hand washing, a lot of headaches, you know, needing to spend some time alone And I just asked them for some additional help. And that help for me was going to look like, you know, don't make me chase you to do your chores. Don't make me ask you 50 times if your homework's done, you know, and just kind of generally being more organized. Like if you, if you have plans to go somewhere and you tell me you want me to take you at five, don't like come rushing, you know, into the family room or into the kitchen at 4.45 and say we're 15 minutes late because it was actually 4.30, right? So just kind of, so... I need, uh, that's what I needed from them. And I think being open about our struggles, I think it actually strengthens our family dynamic. And I think it empowers the kids to feel like they're contributing, right? And that they're helping. And I think, you know, obviously the strategy, this strategy is age dependent, right? Like if the kids are six and seven year olds, you're not going to like, I need you to make your own breakfast, right? But, (laughs) you know, I I just think that that for my kids, they respond really well to that, right? Uh, And and they say, okay, yeah. And and I say, you know, it's not going to last forever. I'm just, I'm feeling really stressed out right now. So, you know, and and so we talk about self-care and we're learning all of those things. And I think the more things that we can teach kids about how to take care of themselves and how to take care of people that we love, right, is, is only going to make them better people. And that's another example where you're modeling the behavior. And that's how they're learning is, is through you modeling it. And I, there's so much power in that too. And, and another example that came out for me with that was when you told me, uh, I think it was a couple of weeks ago or something, that your daughter had come to you and said, I need a mental health day. Oh and yes. She, yes. she chilled out for the whole day and you said she was like a different kid the next day. Yeah, she was because she is, um, is it, I think it's type A personality where like you, you, you work really hard for good grades and you play on all the sports teams and you do all of the things. Right. And, um, so she, she's very much like that. Like she's known what she's wanted to do for a living from a very young age and she's very driven. Um, but I think, that personality type that comes with a lot of um, stress, I think, and a lot of, um, you know, am I doing it right? Am I doing enough? And all of that kind of stuff. And um, she, she had been really tired. She'd been cranky and she's in grade nine. So she's not used to, you know, being up at quarter after six every day. And um, so it's been sort of a long year. Right. And uh, she just said, you know, mom, I, I would like a mental health day. And, and at first I was kind of like, like, oh, 
uh, okay. And she said, I just, I feel really tired. And, and she said, and I'm grumpy. And I, she said, I honestly just want to lay in bed all day and watch Netflix. And I thought, oh, that actually sounds amazing. You should, <laughs> you should do that. And then, so she did. And honestly, like I told you before, she was amazing the next day and she's been like fine ever since. I love it. Right? That's awesome. Because yeah. I, I've talked before on this podcast about when I was still in my corporate job, there were more, there was more than once where I took a mental health day, but I was, I, I knew that the particular environment that I was in, it, they, they were an amazing group of people. They were so supportive, but the mental health discussions were not quite on, on my level. It's <laughs> yeah. still a little bit old school. And so I knew that if I said something like a mental health day, I'd be laughed out of the office. So right. I would lie. And yeah. I would make some sort of physical ailment up instead. But I really, truly, like, I, there were days where my anxiety levels were so high that in order to function, I needed that day. And I would yeah. come back again, like a different person the next day, and, and I was fine. But I, I needed that time. And I think that it's, if that's starting to shift, like, again, we are starting to see some changes in that, in that area, but it's, there's a lot of power in it. And we, in, in our super productive type A um, society, we think it's lazy. Like we still think that it's lazy sure. to take a mental health day and to, oh my God, like sit in, in front of Netflix all day and watch TV. I have totally done that and I have beaten myself up for it too because yep. I'm like, oh my God, you were so unproductive today. I'm, ra I'm raising my hand over here like, <laughs> yep, me too. Yep. Yes. Like we, yeah. and we yeah. shit on ourselves because of it. <laughs> for sure. And you know, in all fairness, for, for people who don't, uh, suffer with anxiety. They, they don't know what people with anxiety feel like and, and what sort of goes through their head or, or how it you know, affects them physically because you don't know what you don't know, right? But I think as somebody with someone with anxiety, I'm not asking you to understand it. I'm just asking you to support me, right? And if, you, if I am your friend or if I am your coworker, if I am your employee, if I am your parent, your friend, whatever it is, and you, and, and you like me, then just trust that if I'm asking something from you, it's because I need it. And it was likely very hard for me to ask you in the first place, right? So I'm just looking for support. I'm not looking for a handout. I'm not looking for special treatment, right? And, and, and I think that people with anxiety, uh, I think, are very clear. And, and we're hard enough on ourselves. So there isn't anything that you can say to us that we haven't said to ourselves already right? So, so we know already what it's like to make ourselves feel like shit. So we're just asking you to not do that too. <laughs> you are the second person to use that exact phrase on this podcast oh, really? today. Marsha said literally almost word for word, the same thing that like, you can't say anything to me that I haven't already yeah. said to myself. Because isn't that the truth? Yes. Oh my like, goodness. It's like, you, you can't put me down. Yeah. <laughs> you can't put me down any more than I have put myself down. Right. And a lot of that for me, at least comes from anxiety because anxiety obviously attacks your self-worth and all of that kind of stuff. And so, so that's what happened. Oh man. It's so good. Right, Nicole, I, I have to get everybody to go find you, go hang out with you. Yes. Get ready for your it. book that's coming out soon. Yes. Let, let us know where we can find you. Okay, so my memoir is hopefully going to be released in the fall, and it's called The Things I Couldn't Say. Uh, and I'm also launching a podcast in July, which is yeah, called you The are. Things We Couldn't Say, <laughs> which is going to just, uh, it's going to touch on a lot of these hard to talk about subjects. You know, I want women to stop feeling ashamed. And it's honestly, it's just my mission right now. And especially with all of the the stuff that's in the news and it just really feels like we're going backwards. And I just, I want women to stand in their power and I want women to stand in their truth and to not feel shitty about themselves anymore. Um, so that's going to be coming up too. Um, so other than that, um, I'm mostly active on Instagram. That's my little spot of social media that I absolutely adore. And um, so yeah, reach out, say hi, come join us, listen to the podcast when it's ready. I can't wait for this podcast. When you first told me your, your vision for the podcast, I was blown away. It's going to be so powerful. I, I'm going to make sure to share it uh, with everybody as soon as it comes out because I can't wait to see what you do with us. And it's just going to 
have such an impact. It's, it's I hope really so. beautiful the way it's coming together. Oh my gosh. Nice. <laughs> okay. So I have I one final so. question for you. Sure. If, let's hear it. If you could offer people one piece of advice on growing into the best possible version of themselves, what would it be? Ooh, I think probably keeping your eyes on your own paper. Like just stop worrying about what other people are doing and focus on your own actions, abilities, and wins, right? Like challenge your fear, challenge your perceptions, and just be nice to people. It's not really hard, right? These are just simple, basic, everyday things. Be kind to yourself, be kind to others, and eyes on your own page. The comparison trap is real. Oh, it really is. Yeah. (laughs) Especially with social media. Exactly. My gosh. Oh, so good. Nicole, this has just been such a pleasure. Thank you so much. I'm so appreciative. And I really think that this is going to touch a lot of uh, parents who are are dealing either with their own anxiety or dealing with anxiety for their kids. And you've just given some really cool ideas today in terms of actual strategies. I love it. Well, I was super happy to be here and anything I can do to help is great. And uh, I always enjoy talking to you. So this is easy for me. (laughs) Thank you, Nicole. How good was that? I just loved having Nicole on. It was such a blast to chat with her and I hope that you appreciated just how amazing all the information was that she's sharing, especially as a parent. But I think that anyone could have benefited from this conversation. It's just a really fascinating discussion to have. It just opens a lot of doors about a topic that a lot of us really shy away from a lot of times. So don't forget that if you want to connect with Nicole, uh, jump over to the show notes over at roomtogrowpodcast.com. That's also where you can find all the information for the 14 ways to become a, a badass podcast guest because everyone is going to start needing this moving forward. If you plan on growing a business or anything like that, even if you don't have your own podcast, going on somebody else's is becoming more and more common. And it's a really, really great way to connect with new people and build new connections, all these amazing things. So make sure to jump over uh, to roomtogrowpodcast.com to grab your guide and everything will be listed over there for you. See you Thursday. Thanks so much for listening to the Room to Grow podcast today. All show notes and references can be found over at roomtogrowpodcast.com. And can you do me one huge favor before you go though? If you can take a a screenshot of this episode and tag me on social media, I would absolutely love to see who's listening and get to connect with you and thank you. And if you could leave a review on iTunes, that would go a long way and make such a huge difference. It really helps to get the word out there, get more amazing guests on the show and helps to get all of this information out to the world. Looking forward to growing with you.